invite you to turn to Luke chapter 10 this morning as we look at Luke 10, verses 38 to 42, familiar story of Martha and Mary. Because of our gap in our study of Luke's gospel, where we were away from it for a time, it's perhaps necessary to give us a, a reminder of, of the flow of his gospel as we have, are working our way to come back into this, uh, this gospel. Luke has a concern that his readers would uh, uh, know what genuine hearing of the word looks like, what it, how, it, how it plays out. Back in chapter 8, he records Jesus' parable of the sower. It talks about the different types of soil and how the word is received. And uh, last week, we considered Jesus' teaching to the lawyer who believed he had heard and understood the law. He says, yeah, I know the law. He's, how do you read it? And he gave the answer. And he said, this is what the law means. Though he had heard it, Yet it had not generated a faithful action on his part. It was the Samaritan in God's story who showed what it looked like to truly hear the word of God. Somewhat unexpected, there was a thought that how could anyone other than law experts truly know the word? I mean, the law experts had spent all their time studying the law, all the ins and outs, and yet the execution of that law was not in keeping with the heart of God. It was the Samaritan who showed what it looked like to truly hear the word of God. He saw the one in need and had compassion. Well, this morning, another passage on hearing. Jesus comes to a village, and he is welcomed by, uh, but received differently by different individuals. The village is Bethany, as we understand it. Later in John's gospel, we read that Martha and Mary were from Bethany. This village then is Bethany, and Jesus comes to that village. He's welcomed in, as we're going to see, both of these individuals in our scripture passage this morning welcome Jesus. One listens, one is distracted and anxious about many things. With that introduction, let's look at Luke chapter 10, the word of God from Luke 10, starting verse 38. Now as they went, that is Jesus and his disciples on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. and She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of God stands forever. People of God, as we see Jesus moving through uh, in the Gospel of Luke, we see him moving from place to place. There is not a single person, a single village, a single uh, uh, location that he will not go. He wants to bring the Gospel. He wants to bring the good news to all the people. That God has given a Savior for the nations. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's the theme of Luke's gospel uh, in, in a broad sense. Um, 
came to seek and to save the lost wherever they are found. Well, Luke tells us that a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. When Jesus and his disciples entered Martha's home, she was busy with much serving. Busy, we read, to the point of distraction. That's an interesting point we want to develop this morning. Welcoming Jesus, but in a way that's not distracted. Welcoming Jesus and truly listening to him. And doing so regularly. Not just on special occasions. As though he were gone and on a journey and then he comes back and he's on a journey and he comes back. He is with us by his spirit at all times. And we are to listen at all times. Martha welcomed Jesus into her home, but she was too busy to listen to him. And this looks back to Jesus' teaching on the parable of the sower. That's why I brought it up this morning. Part of the reason I brought it up this morning, you can look at it, find it in Luke 8, starting in verse 4, where he speaks of, uh, he gives that parable, and and it's really an important uh, parable for us. In his teaching, he often makes the point that it's possible to welcome him in and not really listen or not really to be changed by his presence or by his teaching, by the word of God. It's possible to be familiar with Jesus and yet not be a true disciple. Jesus often tells his hearers that. He says, count the cost. We've seen that already. He says, count the cost when you're going to follow after me. Consider what it means, what you need to set aside. If you're going to focus, if you're truly going to be my follower, that means you must say no to certain things and yes to other things. It means you must have right priorities. He teaches them what listening looks like. And we need to ask ourselves, how do I listen to Jesus? When I, we'll use the word welcome today as it's in the text, how do I welcome him in? Do I listen in such a way that the gospel, the word of God more broadly, is transforming my life? Or do I look a lot like those who have no connection to Jesus? Fretting, fearful, worried, troubled, busy, distracted? How is it? You see, Luke is not only telling us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, he's also showing us what it looks like to be a true disciple, to really follow this Savior. God gives us all that we need in his word to transform us from worry to good work. Good theology, a right understanding of who God is, leads to good living, right living. Not just that we can answer with the right words, giving the right answer, but then living that shows that we really believe God's in control of everything. And we don't have to be distracted. We don't have to be worried. We don't have to be busybodies. If we know who God is and what he's done, we trust in him, we can meet the inevitable troubles of life with a peaceful confidence. This parable, parable of the sower, has also been called the parable of the listener. Because Jesus is not only speaking, or not even perhaps primarily speaking about the one sowing the seed, but rather the one, how the seed is received. What is the heart The parable of the heart. Are we ready to receive the word? Have we cultivated the soil of our hearts with prayer? 
with discipline. He starts off by saying that in some hearts, the word of God does nothing. He says that Jesus says the devil takes it away. I'm reading Luke 8. I'm thinking of Luke 8, 12 in particular. He says the devil takes away the seed. How does he do that? He's, he's got various means, but two of the most common are, are deceit and distraction. Somebody asks you how you're doing. What do you say? Or how are you doing? I think a favorite one in, this, in our time in this country is I'm so busy. In fact, I, I remember hearing it somewhere. I don't remember who said it at a conference I went to. There was an immigrant from another country. She came to this country and she, she listened to people's in, introductions and she thought that this was the way that you began uh, uh, your conversation when people say, how are you? Hi, my name is Busy. And if you really listen to conversation, you might think that. We're all so Busy. And it's not wrong to be active. Indeed, we're also warned against not being engaged in life and being lazy, unproductive. But far too often, we're so busy that we're not focused. Satan knows that he can get us by distraction. He knows he can get us by deceit. How does deceit works work? Well, it works when we're distracted so much that we don't read the truth, so we can't recognize when we're being deceived. And we've got a lot of that today. Deception because we don't really know how to judge between truth and error because we've been too busy and distracted to regularly hear that word and to hide it in our hearts. Well, moving on. In others, the word grows at first and then fades just as fast. One commentator says about that, uh, that particular picture that Jesus gives in this way, persecutions and trials put the would-be Christian out of commission. So the word can begin to take hold, but then trouble comes and these persecutions put the would-be Christian out of commission. Well, in others, the word sinks a little deeper. It looks like it's planted in good soil. New life seems to be taking root until thorns come and choke out that young life. The cares, Jesus says, this is how Jesus describes it. The cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life keep a person from growing. The worries of life set us back. The desire for other things grabs our attention. Let's think about the other things for a moment. Possessions themselves are not to blame for our distraction. The problem is with everything that we do to keep them, to get them, to update them. It takes time to acquire things. It takes more time to care for our ever-growing possessions. It takes time to update the ones that we have, to use the new stuff that we get. Jesus says we need to guard our hearts. The seed of God's word won't grow to uh, to fruitfulness without pruning for rest, quiet, and calm. We see that contrast in our story. In a world where we have so much, one would think with all the time-saving devices that we have, that we would have 
No problem finding time to listen to God. To welcome him into our lives. And yet with so much, the danger is that we have no limits. Because we can do so much more. Because we can get so much more. Because we can do so much more. We do all that. We get. We grab hold of. We do so much more. We buy so much more. And there's no time for rest and meditation. You know how it goes. Just one more gadget to simplify my life. Or, oh, I've got that extra income. Just one more restaurant to try. Just one more trip to take. Just one more weekend away to plan. We can do it. We have the resources. But does it take us away from the focus we should have? God doesn't say we can't enjoy the pleasures of life. Don't miss here. God doesn't say that we aren't even supposed to enjoy life. We are. Giving thanks for all the good things that he gives us. But when those things become our focus and pursuit, rather than him, they become idols. And we're polishing them, if we want to use that picture. My idol is books. One more book to read. And I have to remind myself what the scripture says. The the writing of many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. In fact, I'm still trying to find this, still trying to find time to read this book on margins. I just haven't found the time yet. Why is it that we're so busy? Well, because we often think that life consists of these other things rather than our time welcoming the Lord. And then there's the complexities of life. Not that your minister is here to distract you this morning, but maybe you're thinking, in the midst of everything else, I've got to figure out how to get my vehicle fixed, where to take it. How am I going to get it there? How am I going to get driven home? How am I going to pay for the parts? Or if you're a student, how am I going to get that loan as I'm thinking about college? Or if you're a younger student, I wonder how that basketball tournament's going to go this week. We get distracted, don't we? Life gets complex. There's no denying that. Busyness and distraction are not just realities in our age, though. Martha had gotten distracted. She was anxious and troubled about a lot of things. Jesus saw it, and he identified it. He says, you are worried. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Someone shared a sermon with me a few weeks ago about worry and anxiety. He said, this is really good. You've got to listen to this. And there was much good, good food for thought and application. I just had to find time to listen to it. One quote that stuck with me, anxiety is living out the future before it arrives. Worry is being weighed down by the what ifs. What if somebody doesn't find the food 
the right kind? What if somebody has this? What about that? And Martha's fretting. And one commentator says she even likely knew that Jesus had, was coming, and, and she had already made the preparations, and yet still, once he arrived, she's still fussing. Aren't we like that sometimes? We don't want to let things go. We want to keep fussing with it and just get it, just get it so, and it becomes something that we, we fixate on and we become, we become so, so focused on it that we, that we lose sight of the bigger picture. And relationships are strained because we got, oh, I got to fix this, I got to finish this, or I got to do this. And, and our attitudes change and, and we lose sight of who we are to be and how we are to live. The text and the original sets the, these words opposite each other, many and one. Jesus says, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And then he says this, Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Martha's sister Mary took a, a different posture when Jesus came into their home. When Jesus came in, she sat at his feet and listened. Listened to his teaching. And it was this action that led to Martha's annoyance and what led Jesus to tenderly correct Martha. Martha got so caught up in other things, what she wanted to do was teach Jesus how it was supposed to go. (laughs) Now, that's really when it hits home, when you're reading the text and you think, now, wait a minute, what's going on here? Jesus is teaching Mary, and Martha comes in and says, listen, i got to tell you a few things. That's really what's happening here, and we ought to see that because we act that way sometimes. Let me explain. Martha is distracted with much serving, verse 40, and she goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now, if anything we've learned by reading Luke's account, it's this. Jesus doesn't lack compassion. (laughs) And Martha says, I don't think you care. Wow. I don't think you care, Jesus. I really don't think you care. Don't you see all the things I have to do, all the places I need to be, all the people I have to influence, all the people I have to answer to? Now, if Jesus does what Martha asks him to do, oh, then she could be persuaded that perhaps he cares. Do you see now kind of how that works for us? We will go to read our Bibles, and we will run through that reading of Scripture, which wherein faith is strengthened through the hearing, only because we want to get to the end so we can tell God what he needs to do. So we've rushed through, not listening to what he has to say to us, because we want to get to the end and say, oh, by the way, I'm praying like you, like you tell us to do, and you need to fix this. And this is how you're going to fix it. Well, that's not being a very good listener. Mary 
sets the example of how we are to enter and go through each day. We're to listen to God's word, remembering who he is, what he's done, remembering that his word is life. So when we sit down and we open it, we are listening for what, he ha- what God has to say to us then and there for that day. But, but pastor, it's Monday and I got this big thing on Friday and, and we're not supposed to think about Friday on Monday. We're certainly not supposed to worry about it. Maybe I can rephrase that. We can think about Friday and make plans. We need to make plans. But we don't worry about Friday on Monday. We're to to ask the Lord to give us what we need for Monday on Monday. Now, Martha's not looking that far ahead, but she's certainly looking around and saying, boy, I think I'm doing all the work around here. Tell Mary to get with the program. And we should learn from the scriptures that when we are really listening to the Lord, we know that he has our best interest in mind. We know how he receives his people. He receives them as children. We saw that last Sunday. We're to pray to him as our heavenly father who will answer us, giving us all good things, Matthew seven eleven says. Now, That may include correction. In fact, I can assure you it will, because we don't always act in keeping with God's word. But that correction, that discipline is loving. That's part of love. Jesus sees something in Martha and says, Martha, you're distracted. You're anxious, troubled about many things. You've lost sight of the one thing. Here Jesus corrects her understanding because he doesn't want her to be swallowed up by anxiety. He wants her to slow down long enough so that she can see what he sees because he knows us better than we know ourselves. Mary is listening to all that Jesus is telling her about his father. She is committed to submitting to him and the life that she receives by trusting in the Father will not be taken from her. You see the difference? Mary's listening, submitting to him, and knowing that by trusting in the Father, Jesus' Father and hers, that her life will not be taken from her. And her attentiveness to Christ gives her a great peace We don't know how this unfolds, but perhaps Martha says it right in front of Mary. Isn't that the way it often goes when someone's trying to get you to do something? They bring someone in, they say, and they do it right in front of you and say, look at this person. I mean, huh? And that's supposed to encourage and build the relationship. (laughs) But it doesn't, does it? When we give our attention to Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're promised a smooth life free from troubles. But when we listen to Jesus, when we reflect upon what he said and did, we know that our troubles, from the least to the greatest, are removed from us by him. He's the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father and Spirit.
and yet he's humbled himself to being served. You see that? You think about that in this story? This is the Son of God by whom all things were made. And he is being served by Martha. And he is going through life without a place to lay his head. How is he showing us what it looks like to trust in the Father? He's relying completely upon the Lord, completely upon his Father to provide what he needs without becoming anxious, without becoming troubled, without rushing anywhere. He knows your need because he willingly took on your limitations. And he had no place to lay his head. He's fully trusting his father for everything. Not considering equality with God something to be grasped. Took up the nature of a servant. We read in Philippians 2. Constant in prayer to his father. To give him the strength to do what he had to do. And he did so perfectly because the father heard his prayer. As he hears yours for his sake. He's not in prayer saying, Father, do something. I'm the only one doing anything around here. I'm working alone, all by myself. These people aren't doing me any good. He knows that we can't help. We can't help him do what he needs to do, which is to give everything he has, to lay down his life that we might be saved. And not once does he complain. But he says instead, Father, glorify your Son. Help them to see you through me, that you might be glorified for the work that you are doing. What a different attitude. What a different way of approaching every day. Now, here he is being served, but he came to serve. Indeed, Mark 10, 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to serve, but to, or to, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came to die that we might live. He doesn't complain. He sets his face resolutely or firmly toward Jerusalem. We saw that Luke 9, 51 last week. Knowing what that means for him there. He's on the way to Jerusalem. This made me think a bit of the the story that Jesus told just before this, as it's recorded in Luke's gospel, where the man is going down from Jerusalem. People are ignoring him, avoiding him, instead of helping him. Here Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, and he will die outside the city as one who is considered cursed. And yet we are to go to him, the book of Hebrews says, to find our rest in him, to trust in him, to know that because he has done that, that God will do all that we need. That we need not be anxious and troubled about the many things of life, for we focus on the one thing necessary that God has given his son, that we might not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus goes and tells that message from place to place. 
He lives that peaceful life, completely trusting in his Father, showing what it looks like. His life, his doing as well as his speech, points to the Father. Martha's focused on all that she has to do alone. One commentator notes, Martha's speech is centered on me talk. Three times she says, me, my, I'm doing. Though she refers to Jesus as Lord, she's concerned to engage his assistance in her plans, in her plans, not in learning his. I thought that note was helpful, capturing the contrast in the word of God between focusing on the many things that we trust in or we hope in or that we invest in versus the one thing necessary, listening to Christ and resting in him. Sitting at his feet. You see, the Jewish leaders had this attitude that they were the ones that were going to keep the the whole nation together. They were going to hold it together by their doing, by their industriousness, by their zeal, by their fervor, and they they were just... Floored by the fact that Jesus said, oh no, they have to, these, these little children who believe have their names written in heaven. They say, that can't possibly be. They, haven't, they don't know the law like we do. They don't keep the law like we do. There's no way. And they were about doing and going and rushing here and there. Now there is an aspect of obedience to be sure. That we dare not neglect. But it is not our doing and rushing that brings life. It is our listening and resting in Christ and going forth in him with confidence that he will go before us, which reveals the one in whom there is life. When we remember to set God apart as Jesus so beautifully sets it before us in this account. Then we can be free from anxiety. We're going to look at that tonight. Hallowed be your name. Setting God apart as holy. That's the way to be free from anxiety, to be free from rushing about, to be anxious, to be worried. As we listen to him, we find clear direction for life and in life. Dale Davis, in his commentary on this passage, tells a a story, and I'll end with this this morning. He recounted the story of Professor John Murray's uh, father's death. As Professor Murray's father died, he kept quoting the 51st Psalm over and over. For two days, he he was in and out of consciousness, but when he was conscious, he was quoting the 51st Psalm, and Dr. Davis makes this this comment. He says, Jesus' word simply doesn't leave his people. It sustains them to the end. When we welcome Jesus in, when we listen to him, then we can have peace. Even in the darkest moments of our lives, even in the valley of the shadow of death, as it was in this case. Welcome him in. Listen to him and know peace. Amen. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, as we think about the way your word is impressing upon us that call to listen and how to do it in a in a way that leads to greater faith, we, we pray that it would not just bounce around in our minds, but that it would be displayed in our lives. We are... We, we do have lives filled with responsibilities. We do have many things that we are responsible for. Lord, grant us the ability to keep that which we need to keep and to consider where, where we might focus our energies in a better way. Recognizing that need for meditation and rest to come away even as Jesus did. For it is not we who keep all things spinning, but you. The world spins by your decree. It is upheld by your mighty hand. And so, too, our lives and the lives of those we love. Help us, Lord, then to commit one to another. To put you, the one thing needful, at the center of our lives. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.